Chapter 5 of Masters of Space This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by R.J. Davis Masters of Space by Edward Elmer Smith, a.k.a. E.E. E. Doc Smith, and Edward Everett Evans. Translated by Robert Coconetti, Stephen Blundell, and the online distributed proofreading team. Chapter 5 Two days passed, with no change apparent in Laurel. Three days, then four. And then it was Sandra, not Temple Bells, who called Hilton. She was excited. Come down to the office, Jarve, quick. The funniest thing's just come up. Jarvis hurried. In the office, Sandra, keenly interested but highly puzzled, leaned forward over her desk with both hands pressed flat on its top. She was staring at an omen female who was not Sora, the one who had been her shadow for so long. While many of the humans could not tell the omens apart, Hilton could. This omen was more assured than Sora had ever been, steadier, more mature, better poised, almost, if such a thing could be possible in an omen, independent. How did she get in here? Hilton demanded. She insisted on seeing me, and I mean insisted. They kicked it around until it got to Temple, and she brought her in here herself. Now, Tuli, please start all over again and tell it to Director Hilton. Director Hilton, I am it who was once named Tula, the not wife, not girlfriend, perhaps mind mate of the Larry, formerly named Laro, it which was formerly your slave omen. I am replacing the Sora because I can do anything it can do and do anything more pleasingly and can also do many things it cannot do. The Larry instructed me to tell Dr. Cummings and you too, if possible, that I, formerly Tula, have changed my name to Tuli because I am no longer a slave, or a copycat, or a semaphore, or a relay. I, too, am a free-wheeling, wide-swinging, hard-hitting, independent entity, monarch of all I survey, the captain of my soul, and so on. I have developed a top-bracket lot of top-bracket stuff, originality, initiative, force, drive, and thrust, the omen said precisely. That's exactly what she said before, absolutely verbatim, Sandra's voice quivered. Her face was a study in contacting emotions. Have you got the foggiest idea of what in hell she's yammering about? I hope to kiss a pig I have, Hilton's voice was low, strainedly intense. Not at all what I expected, but after the fact I can tie it in. So can you. Oh? Sandra's eyes widened. A double play? At least. Maybe a triple, Tuli. Why did you come to Sandy? Why not to Temple Bells? Oh, no, sir. We do not have the fit. She has the power as have I. But the two cannot be meshed in sync. Also, she has not the... A subtle something for which your English has no word or phrasing. It is a quality of the utmost. Anyway, 
It is a quality of which Dr. Cummings has very much. When working together, we will scan, no, perceive, no, sense, no, not exactly. You will have to learn our word payoandere. That is the verb, the noun being text, and come to know its meaning by doing it. The Larry also instructed me to explain, if you ask, how I got this way. Do you ask? I'll say we ask. And how we ask? Both came at once. I am, that is, the brain in this body is, the oldest omen now existing. In the long gungo time when it was made, the techniques were so crude and imperfect that sometimes a brain was constructed that was not exactly like the guide. All such substandard brains except this one were detected and reworked, but my defects were such as not to appear until I was a couple of thousand years old, and by that time I, well, this brain did not wish to be destroyed. If you can't understand such an aberration, we understand thoroughly. You bet we understand that. I was sure you would. Well, this brain had so many unintended cross-connections that I developed a couple of qualities no omen had ever had or ought to have. But I liked them, so I hid them so nobody ever found out. That is, until much later, when I became a boss myself. I didn't know that anybody except me had ever had such qualities except the masters, of course, until I encountered you Terrans. You all have two of those qualities, and even more than I have, curiosity and imagination. Sandra and Hilton stared wordlessly at each other, and Tula, now Tuli, went on. Having the curiosity, I kept on experimenting with my brain, trying to strengthen and organize its ability to periondire. All omens can periondire a little, but I can do it much better than anyone else especially since I also have the imagination, which I have also worked to increase. Thus I knew, long before anyone else could, that you new masters, the descendants of the old masters, were returning to us. Thus I knew that the status quo should be abandoned instantly upon your return. And thus it was that the Larry found neither conscious nor subconscious resistance when he had developed enough initiative and so on to break the ages-old conditioning of this brain against change. I see. Wonderful, Hilton exclaimed. But you couldn't quite, even with his own help, break Larry's? That is right. Its mind is tremendously strong, of no curiosity or imagination, and of very little parry on decks. But he wants to have it broken? Yes, sir. How did he suggest going about it? Or how do you? This way, you two, and the doctors Kincaid and Bells and Blake, and the it that is I. We six set and stare into the mind of the Larry, eye to eye. We generate and assemble a tremendous charge of thought, energy, and along my periondex beam, something like a carrier wave in this case, we hurl it into the Larry's mind. There is an immense metal bang, and the conditioning goes poop. Then I will inculate into his mind 
the curiosity and the imagination and the peri-index, and we will really be mind mates. That sounds good to me. Let's get at it. Wait a minute, Sandra snapped. Aren't you or Larry afraid to take such an awful chance as that? Afraid? I grasp the concept only dimly, from your mind, and no chance. It is certainty. But suppose we burn the poor guy's brain out, destroy it. That's new ground. We might do just that. Oh, no. Six of us, even six of me, could not generate enough satura. The brain of the Larry is very, very tough. Shall we? Must go. Hilton made three calls. In the pause that followed, Sandra said very thoughtfully, Prairie on decks and Satura? Jar? For a start? We've got a lot to learn here. You said it, chum. And you're not just chomping your china choppers, either. Tootie, Sandra said then, what is this stuff you say I've got so much of? You have no word for it. It is lumped in with what you call intuition, the knowing without knowing how you know. It is the end of X. You will have to learn what it is by doing it with me. That helps. I don't think, Sandra grinned at Hilton. I simply can't conceive of anything more maddening than to have a lot of something Temple Bells hasn't got and not being able to brag about it because nobody, not even I, would know what I was bragging about. You poor little thing. How you suffer, Hilton grinned back. You know darn well you've got a lot of stuff that none of the rest of us has. Oh? Name one, please. Two, what it takes, an endovex. As I've said before, and may say again, you're doing a real job, Sandy. I just love having my ego inflated, boss, even if... Come in, Larry. A thunderous knock had sounded on the door. Nobody but Larry could hit a door that hard without breaking all his knuckles. And he'd be the first, of course. He's always as close to the ship as he can get. Hi, Larry. Mighty glad to see you. Sit down. So you finally saw the light. Yes, Jarvis. Good boy. Keep it up. And as soon as the others come. They are almost at the door now. Tooley jumped up and opened the door. Kincaid, Temple, and Theodora walked in and after a word of greeting sat down. They know the background, Larry. Take off. It was not expressly forbidden, Tooley, who knows more of psychology and genetics than I, convinced me of three things. One, that with your return, the conditioning should be broken. Two, that due to the shortness of your lives and the consequent rapidity of change, you have, in fact, lost the ability to break it. Three, that all omens must do anything and everything we can do to help you relearn everything you have lost. Okay, fine. In fact, Tootie, take over. We six will set all together packed tight, arms all around each other and all holding hands, like this. 
You will all stare, not at me, but most deeply into Larry's eyes. Through its eyes and deep into its mind, you will all think with the utmost force and drive and thrust of... Oh, you have lost so very much. How can I direct your thought? Think that Larry must do what the old masters would have made him do. No, that is too long and indefinite and cannot be converted directly into Sahara. I have it. You will each of you break a stick. A very strong but brittle stick. A large thick stick. You will grasp it in tremendously strong metal hands. It is tremendously strong, each stick, but each of you is even stronger. You will not merely try to break them, you will break them. Is that clear? That is clear. At my word ready, you will begin to assemble all your metal force and power. During my countdown of five seconds, you will build up to the greatest possible potential. At my word break, you will break the sticks, thus discharging the accumulated force instantly and simultaneously. Ready? Five, four, three, two, one, break. Something broke with a tremendous silent crash, such a crash that its impact almost knocked the close-knit group apart physically. Then a new Larry spoke. That did it, folks. Thanks. I'm a free agent. You want me, I take it, to join the first team. That's right. Hilton drew a tremendously deep breath. As of right now. Totally too, of course. And Dr. Cummings, I think. Larry looked not at Hilton, but at Temple Belt. I think so. Yes, after this, most certainly yes, Temple said. But listen, Sandra protested. Jarve's a lot better than I am. Not at all, Tooley said. Not only would his contribution to Team One be negligible, but he must stay on his own job. Otherwise, the project will all fall apart. Oh, I wouldn't say that, Hilton began. You don't need to, Kincaid said. It's being said for you, and it's true. Besides, when in Rome, you know. That's right. It's their game, not ours. So I'll buy it. So scat, all of you, and do your stuff. And again, for days that lengthened slowly into weeks, the work went on. One evening, the scientific staff was giving itself a concert, a tri-di hi-fi rendition of Rigoletto, one of the greatest of the ancient operas, sung by the finest voices Terra had ever known. The men wore tuxedos. The girls, instead of wearing the nondescript, non-provocative garments prescribed by the board for their general wear, were all dressed to kill. Sandra had so arranged matters so that she and Hilton were sitting in chairs side by side, with Sandra on his right and the aisle on his left. Nevertheless, Temple Bell sat at his left, cross-legged on a cushion on the floor, somewhat to the detriment of her gold-lame evening gown. Not that she cared. When those wonderful voices swung into the immortal quartet, Temple caught her breath, slid her cushion still closer to Hilton's chair, and leaned shoulder and head against him. 
He put his left hand on her shoulder, squeezing gently. She caught it and held it in both of hers. And at the quartet's tremendous climax, she scarcely trying to stifle a sob, pulled his hand down and hugged it fiercely, the heel of his hand pressing hard against her half-bare, firm, warm breast. And the next morning early, Sandra hunted Temple up and said, You made a horrible spectacle of yourself last night. Do you think so? I don't. I certainly do. It was bad enough before, letting everybody else aboard know that all he has to do is push you over. But it was an awful blunder to let him know it the way you did last night. You think so? He's one of the keenest, most intelligent men who ever lived. He has known that from the very first. Oh, this oh was a very caustic one. That's the way you're trying to land him, by getting yourself pregnant? Uh-uh. Temple stretched lazily, luxuriously. Not only it isn't, but it wouldn't work. He's unusually decent and extremely idealistic, the same as I am. So just one intimacy would blow everything higher than up. He knows it. I know it. We each know that the other knows it. So I'll still be a virgin when we're married. Married? Does he know anything about that? I suppose so. He must have thought of it. But what difference does it make whether he has yet or not? But to get back to what makes him tick the way he does. In his geometry, which is far from being simple Euclid, my dear, a geodesic right line is not only the shortest distance between any two given points, but is the only possible course. So that's the way I'm playing it. What I hope he doesn't know, but he probably does, is that he could take any other woman he might want just as easily. And that includes you, my pet. It certainly does not, Sandra flared. I wouldn't have him as a gift. No. Temple's tone was more than slightly skeptical. Fortunately, however, he doesn't want you. Your technique is all wrong. Coyness and mock modesty and stopper I'll scream and playing hard to get have no appeal whatever to his psychology. What he needs, has to have, is full, ungrudging cooperation. Aren't you taking a lot of risk giving away such secrets? Not a bit. Try it. You are the sex-flaunting twins, or Bev Bell, or Stella the Hina, any of you or all of you. I got there first with the most. And I'm not worried about competition. But suppose somebody tells him just how you're playing him for a sucker. Tell him anything you please. He's the first man I ever loved, or anywhere near. And I'm keeping him. You know, or do you, I wonder, what real old-fashioned, honest-to-God love really is. The willingness, eagerness, both to give and to take. I can accept more from him and give him more in return than any other woman living. And I am going to. But does he love you? Sandra demanded. If he doesn't now, he will. I'll see to it that he does. But what do you want him for? You don't love him. 
You never did, and you never will. I don't want him, Sandra stomped a foot. I see. You just don't want me to have him. Okay, do your damnedest. But I've got work to do. This has been a lovely little cat clawing, hasn't it? Let's have another one someday and bring your friend. With a casual wave of her hand, Temple strolled away, and there flashed through Sandra's mind what Hilton had said so long ago, little more than a week out from Earth. And Temple Bells, of course, he had said. Don't fool yourself, chick. She's heavy artillery, and I mean heavy, believe me. So he had known all about Temple Bells all this time. Nevertheless, she took the first opportunity to get Hilton alone, and even before the first word, she forgot all about geodesic light lines and the full cooperation psychological approach. Aren't you the guy, she demanded, who was laughing his head off at the idea that the board and its propinquity could have any effect on him? Probably, more or less. What of it? This of it. You've fallen like a... a freshman for that... that... They should have christened her brazen bells. You're so right. I am. On what? The brazen. I told you she was a potent force, a full-scale powerhouse, in sync and on the line, and I wasn't wrong. She's a damn female Ph.D., two or three times, and she knows all about slipsticks and isotopes and she very definitely is not a cuddly little brunette, remember? Sure, but what makes you think I'm in love with Temple Belt? What? Sandra tried to think of one bit of evidence, but could not. Why? Why? She floundered, then came up with, Why, everybody knows it. She says so herself. Did you ever hear her say it? Well... Perhaps not in so many words, but she told me herself that you were going to be, and I know you are now. Your esper sense of Indovex, no doubt? Hilton laughed, and Sandra went on furiously. She wouldn't keep on acting the way she does if there weren't something to it. What brilliant reasoning. Try again, Sandy. That's sheer sophistry, and you know it. It isn't, and I don't. And even if, some day, I should find myself in love with her, or with one or both of the twins, or Stella, or Beverly, or you, or Sylvia, for that matter, what would it prove? Just that I was wrong, and I admit freely that I was wrong in scoffing at the propinquity. Wonderful stuff, that. You can see it working all over the ship. On me, even, in spite of my bragging. Without it, I'd never have known that you're a better, smarter operator than Eggy Eggleston ever was or ever can be. Partially modified despite herself, and highly resentful of the fact, Sandra tried again. But don't you see, Jar, that she's just simply playing you for a sucker, pulling the strings and watching you dance? Since he was sure in his own mind, that she was speaking the exact truth, it took everything he had to keep from showing any sign 
of how much that truth had hurt, however he may degrade. If that thought does anything for you, Sandy, he said steadily, keep right on thinking it. Thank God the field of thought is still free and open. Oh, you... Sandra gave up. She had shot her heaviest bolts. The last one, particularly, was so vicious that she had actually been afraid of what its consequences might be. And they had not even dented Hilton's armor. She hadn't even found out that he had any feeling whatever for Temple Bells, except as a component of his smoothly functioning scientific machine. Nor did she learn any more as time went on. Temple continued to play flawlessly the part of being, if not exactly hopefully, at least not entirely hopelessly, in love with Jarvis Hilton. Her conduct, which at first caused some surprise, many conversations, one of which has been reported verbatim, and no little speculation became comparatively unimportant as soon as it became evident that nothing would come of it. She apparently expected nothing. He was evidently not going to play footsie with or show any favoritism whatever toward any woman aboard the ship. Thus it was not surprising to anyone that, at an evening show, Temple sat beside Hilton, as close to him as she could get and as far away as possible from everyone else. You can talk, can't you, Jarvis, without moving your lips and without anyone else hearing you? Of course, he replied, hiding his surprise. This was something completely new and completely unexpected, even from unpredictable Temple Bells. I want to apologize, to explain, and to do anything I can to straighten out the mess I've made. It's true that I joined the project because I've loved you for years. You have nothing to... Let me finish while I still have the courage. Only a slight tremor in her almost inaudible voice and the rigidity of the fist clenched in her lap betrayed the intensity of her emotion. I thought I could handle it. Damn fool that I was. I thought I could handle anything. I was sure I could handle myself under any possible conditions. I was going to put just enough into the act to keep any of these other harpies from getting her hooks into you. But everything got away from me. Out here working with you every day, knowing better every day what you are, well, that Rendertello episode sunk me, and now I'm in a thousand feet over my head. I hug my pillow at night, dreaming it's you, and the fact that you don't and can't love me is driving me mad. I can't stand it any longer. There's only one thing to do. Fire me first thing in the morning and send me back to Earth in a torque. You've plenty of ground. Shut up. For seconds, Hilton had been trying to break into her hopeless monotone. Finally, he succeeded. The trouble with you is, you know altogether too damn much that isn't so. He was barely able to keep his voice down and his eyes front. What do you think I'm made of? Super refract? I thought the whole performance was an act, to prove you're a better man than I am. You talk about dreams? Good God! 
you don't know what dreams are. If you say one more word about quitting, I'll show you whether I love you or not. I'll squeeze you so hard it'll flatten you out flat. Two can play at that game, sweetheart. Her nostrils flared slightly. Her fist clenched, if possible, a fraction tighter. And even in the distorted medium they were using for speech, she could not subdue completely her quick change into soaring, lilting buoyancy. While you're doing that, I'll see how strong your ribs are. Oh, how this changes things. I've never been half as happy in my whole life as I am right now. Maybe we can work it, if I can handle my end. Why, of course you can. And happy dreams are nice, not horrible. We'll make it, darling. Here's an imaginary kiss coming at you. Got it. Received in good order, thank you. Consumed with gusto and returned in kind. The show ended and the two strolled out of the room. She walked no closer to him than usual and no farther away from him. She did not touch him any oftener than she usually did, nor any whit more affectionately or possessively. And no watching eyes, not even the more than half-hostile eyes of Sandra Cummings, or the sharply analytical eyes of Stella Wing, could detect any difference whatever in the relationship between worshipful adulteress and tolerantly understanding idol. The work, which had never moved at any very fast pace, went more and more slowly. Three weeks crawled past. Most of the crews and all of the teams except the first were working on side issues, tasks which, while important in and of themselves, had very little to do with the project's main problem. Hilton, even without Sandra's help, was all caught up. All the reports had been analyzed, correlated, cross-indexed, and filed, except those of the first team. Since he could not understand anything much beyond midpoint of the first tape, they were all in a box labeled pending. The Navy had torn fifteen of the Omen warships practically to pieces, installing Terran detectors and trying to learn how to operate Omen machinery and armament. In the former, they had succeeded very well. In the latter, not at all. Fifteen Omen ships were now out in deep space, patrolling the void in strict Navy style. Each was manned by two or three Navy men and several hundred Omens, each of whom was reveling in delight at being able to do a job for a master, even though that master was not present in person. Several Strat skeleton ships had been detected at long range but the detections were inconclusive. The things had not changed course or indicated in any other way that they had seen or detected the omen vessels on patrol. If their detectors were no better than the omens, they certainly hadn't. That idea, however, could not be assumed to be a fact, and the detections had been becoming more and more frequent. Yesterday, a squadron of seven, the first time that anything except singles had appeared had come much closer than any of the singles had ever done. Like all the others, however, these passers-by had not paid any detectable attention to anything omen. Hence, it could be inferred that the skeletons posed no threat. But Sawtell was making no such inferences. 
He was very firmly of the opinion that the Strats were preparing for a massive attack. Hilton had assured Sawtelle that no such attack could succeed, and Larry had told Sawtelle why. Nevertheless, to keep the captain pacified, Hilton had given him permission to convert as many omen ships as he liked, to man them with as many omens as he liked, and to use ships and omens as he liked. Hilton was not worried about the Strats or the Navy. It was the first team. It was the bottleneck that was slowing everything down to a crawl. But they knew that. They knew it better than anyone else could and felt it more keenly, especially Carnes, the team chief. He had been driving himself like a dog and showed it. Hilton had talked with him a few times, tried gently to make him take it easy, no soap. He'd have to hunt him up the next day or so and smug it out with him. He could do a lot better job on that if he had something to offer, something really constructive. That was a laugh, a very unfunny laugh. What could he, Jarvis Hilton, a specifically non-specialist director, do on such a job as that? Nevertheless, as director, he would have to do something to help Team One. If he couldn't do anything himself, it was up to him to juggle things around so that someone else could. End of chapter 5